Hello, and welcome back to Finding New Films Self Tapes. Uh, today is Friday, June the 2nd, and I am wearing a Sherpa hoodie for no reason. Um, yeah, uh, we're, we're here to talk about a, a really beautiful movie today, um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, from 2019. This is a French film. This is... My name's Hunter Harris, by the way. Didn't say that. I'm the host of the show. Welcome to the to the solo show. The Monday show. <laughs> Didn't say that off the top. Kind of got right into it. But yeah. This is a French film. Set way back. Uh, it was really... Um... It's really well done. I there's a lot of movies that came out or have come out that are set in the 1700s and 1600s, and they really glorify the the Victorian era era and stuff like that, and um those doily, very pritzy eras. Is that a word? Pritzy. Glitzy, I think is what I'm used to. I think, yeah, glitzy is what I'm thinking of. Not pretty. <laughs> they, uh, they used, like, a lot of glitz and glamour and to show off that period. And, like, um, this was this is an interesting step away from that. This is kind of like a before-they-made-it type, um, type of movie, which was really interesting. Because I've never really seen this era approached in this way. But, yeah. So, we're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to get my thoughts on it. But first, I'm going to run through the credits really quickly. And then I'm going to read the plot synopsis in case uh, some of you haven't seen this movie and don't care to and just want to hear me talk about it. Um... Because I know that's a thing. I found out pretty recently that was a thing. Um, but I'm glad to serve you. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So this is the credits. Uh, and then the plot. And then I'll do the themes. And then I will uh, do my thoughts. So here we go. So for the plot. Or no, wait. For the credits. Uh, Portrait of a Lady uh, on Fire came out in 2019, and I'm pretty sure it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, where it won Best Screenplay. Uh, that was prominently at the, the front of the movie. I'm assuming it being a French film, it takes winning Best Screenplay very seriously, um, because it is so much harder for uh, foreign language films. Even though Cannes is a French festival, it is harder for them to win. Uh, so it must uh, be really cool for them to take pride in winning like the hometown, you know, competition that has been pretty much taken over by Hollywood. Nevertheless, uh, they this film was distributed by Neon Pictures, um, which is a very prominent indie film studio in America. Um, it was also brought to us by MK2. I'm not really aware of their like level of involvement on this, but you know. 
Uh, runtime on this movie was 122 minutes, so right over two hours. Uh, the writer and director on this film was Celine Sciamma. The editor of this film is Julian Lacheray. Music was done by Jean-Baptiste Delobier and Arthur Simonini. Uh, the camera was done by Claire Mathon. And the stars of the film were Noemi Merlon, Adele Enel, I think I said that right, I'm sorry if I didn't, and Luana Bajrami. If I mispronounced any of your names, I apologize. Um, but yeah, those were the prominent stars of the film and the prominent people who worked on the film. Uh, and shout out to the rest of the crew. Just because they everybody made it work. Anyways, on to the plot. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is as follows. At the end of the 18th century, Marianne, a painter, is teaching an art class in France. One of her female students asks about a painting of hers, which Marianne calls Portrait de la jeune fille en feu, uh, meaning a portrait of a lady on fire. Years previously, Marianne arrives on a distant island in Brittany. She has been commissioned to paint a portrait of a young woman of the gentry named Eloise, who is to be married off to a Milanese nobleman. Marianne is informed by Eloise's mother, the Countess, that she has previously refused to pose for portraits as she does not want to be married. She had been living in a convent before the suicide of her older sister necessitated her return and betrothal. Marianne acts as Heloise's hired companion to be able to paint her in secret and accompanies her on her daily walks along the rugged, rugged coastline to memorize Heloise's features. Marianne finishes the portrait and finds herself unable to betray Heloise's trust and reveals her true reason for arriving. After Heloise criticizes the painting, which does not seem to portray her true nature, Marianne destroys the work. After seeing the destroyed work, Marianne explains her actions to the Countess by saying that she can create a better painting. As the Countess is ready to fire Marianne, Heloise says that she will pose for Marianne. The Countess is shocked to hear this and gives Marianne five days to complete the new portrait while she is away on the mainland. Marianne is haunted throughout the house by visions of Heloise in a wedding dress. One evening, they read the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Uh and debate the true reason of why Orpheus returns around, sorry, why Orpheus turns around to look at his wife, causing her to be returned to the underworld. Later, the two go to a bonfire, bonfire gathering where women sing during Heloise's dress briefly catches fire. The next day, Marianne and Heloise share their first kiss and have sex later that night. The pair spend the next few days together during which their sexual relationship grows stronger and they help Sophie, the housemaid who is pregnant, to get an abortion. While their affair is about to be cut short by the ensuing return of the Countess, Marianne sketches a drawing of Heloise to remember her by, and Heloise asks Marianne to draw a nude sketch of her on page 28 of her book. The Countess approves of the now-completed uh, portrait, and the next morning Marianne bids farewell as she is about to leave the house. She hears Heloise say, turn around. She turns around and sees Heloise in her wedding dress. In the present, Marianne reveals that she saw Heloise two more times. The first was in the form of a portrait in an art exhibit uh, in which Heloise and a child beside her is betrayed holding a book and serendipitously 
uh, revealing the edge of the page 28. The second time was at a concert in Milan where she notices Helloise among the patriot patrons seated across the balcony in the theater from her. Unobserved, Marianne watches as Helloise is seen crying and smiling while listening to the orchestra play Presto from Summer in Vivaldi's Four Seasons, the music that Marianne had played for her on a harpsichord years before. And that was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, <clears throat> I'll get into my thoughts on this movie in just a minute. We are going to read some themes really quickly. I need to get my list of themes up. Um, we, yeah, I will get into this movie heavily, so wait on that. But that was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, in a very direct sense. That was basically what happened. Um, so I'm just going to read some themes that I noticed, um, throughout the movie. So here we go. I have beauty of simplicity, I have change versus tradition, I have coming of age, <laughs> uh, sorry, I have convention and rebellion, I have desire to escape, I have destruction of beauty, I have displacement, empowerment, everlasting love, uh, facing reality, um, I have faith versus doubt, I have family, blessing or curse, I have female roles, <laughs> pretty general one, but it is a very common theme. I don't know, other than the sailors in this film, I don't know that there's an, uh, a man, other men in this film, other than the sailors that take them there at the very beginning. So. Good movie, if you ask me. Um, I have fulfillment. Eh, that is like a... Passing um, theme have heartbreak of betrayal. Um, that is like a kind of a, a theme. They, but they both kind of feel like they're getting betrayed in the film. So that's kind of that reason behind that one. Um, I have loss of innocence. I have um, love and sacrifice. I have motherhood. I have oppression of women. I have the power of silence. I have the power of tradition. I have the power of words. Um, I have pride and downfall. I have quest for discovery. I have role of women. I have self-awareness. I have self-preservation. I have self-reliance. Um, I have vulnerability of the meek and vulnerability of the strong. And then uh, will to survive, and then I have youth and beauty. Um, yeah, lots of themes in this movie, lots and lots of themes, but that, that's the main ones, the the main fifteen themes in the movie. Those are kind of more, I guess. I always call these themes. I guess they're kind of just more ideas that are touched upon in the movie, is more what I should call them. But they are still common themes. Uh, within the movie, uh, some more common than others, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, but nevertheless, those are the themes. And now it is time to get into my thoughts. Um, and I'll just tell you right off the bat, I, I really love this movie. I love it a lot. Um, like a lot, a lot. Uh, 
the the acting throughout this whole movie is incredible from both actresses um that are in the main love storyline um Noemi Merlant and Adele Hainel I know I know in French H is a vowel and it is silent so I don't know whether it is I know or I know I don't know I don't I'm sorry I should have probably looked up how to pronounce your last name and I that is on me um however they were both incredible in this movie um and they sold the relationship beautifully i you believe every second of their relationship and their love um this movie has such a good um does such a good job of being able to transport you out of your uh out of your world and back into the 1770s because it's uh the, the cinematography in this movie is incredible and I think that it really powers uh, this, um, what is it, what is the word, uh, the illusion of disbelief. Uh, it allows you to really disappear into the setting. So that that was really cool, um, really enjoyed that. And it, it, the movie is just written beautifully as well um, and directed beautifully. I thought the movie was edited beautifully. I just feel like everyone in their roles in this film and the, you know, people that I credited at the top of the pod, they're, they just are all on their, on their A-game in this one. I really believe that. Um, cause this movie was incredible. Um, it won best screenplay it can for a reason. Um, so yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I would have probably voted for it if I had a vote it can. I know why I don't, but if I had one, it would have gotten mine as well. Um, I think I have my second note is the shot of the cove with all the water stones as the foreground. Uh, I thought that shot was really, really beautiful. Um, yeah, just this movie kind of hits on all cylinders. Um, so, yeah, I have my first thought, I had already told you my second thought. My first thought was, you can feel what she feels when the portrait of the lady on fire is first seen, um, and how she tears up when she says the name of the portrait is, like, so, um, it's so emotional for her. It's so heartfelt. Uh, it, in a way, it was genuinely hard to watch. Uh, but at the same time, you know, how you see the love unfold, you see it as just like a yearning for wishing that things could have been different. Uh, and that almost hurts more. <laughs> it almost hurts more. Um, I wish reality was not the way that it was. I wish these two women could have you know, driven off into the sunset like Thelma and Louise, but, you know, the way society was back then kind of still tries to be today, and it, it will always kind of just always make me sad that the two people who just love each other don't feel like they can do it because of external 
uh, like, you know, um, external viewpoints, you know, it's, it's not, it's not fair, but anyways, uh, <laughs> such a, such a big statement for me to make, uh, <laughs> I'm such a good person for saying that, uh, Anyway, uh, her diving into the ocean to preserve the whole reason that she was there was a really nice touch to show that, number one, the men didn't respect why she was being taken to that place in the first place. And then that coupled with them not guiding her to the house or like being like, ah, I'm fucking gonna go up into the trees. That was, I thought that was, um, I thought that was, you know, I don't know about, you know, good, but a nice touch nice way to to set the scene even further um that you know men especially in the 1770s just thought women were like just there for them uh yeah we've come a long way it's not great still but have we come a long way um and then, yeah, I mean, imagine if she just was like, uh, whatever, I lost it, take me home. And I would never, have, never would have this, like, traumatic love <laughs> that she'll never be able to, like, recreate or, like, have again. But like she said, you know, don't regret, remember. So I'm guessing that's where she's coming from. What the fuck is that? Little gnats. Um, I have my next note saying the mistress was forced into marriage because her sister died premature. I think that's just me helping myself remember the story. Uh, that was pretty fucked up. Um, you know, another reality of 1770s. Uh, they can't really be ignored. You know, American arranged marriage. I know it still happens in the world and stuff like that. I'm not ignorant to that fact. Um, still jarring, nevertheless. Um, as a Westerner that's grown up in the 21st century. So it really sucks. Um, and having it further um, touched upon later on in the film when they say, like, the sister apologized to... Um, uh, I have her character's name... She apologizes to Halawaz because she knows that she's now going to, like, inherit her burden, so to speak, um, of, like, being in that arranged marriage. It's, uh, really heavy stuff. This movie has very heavy emotions. It makes you feel very, very, um, deeply, uh, no matter how you feel, like, about the situation like, in general, makes you feel very deeply whether or not you want to or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, that's all I have for that. Uh, my next note says, the mistress must have... <laughs> okay, this was before... Uh, before I found out why she wouldn't um, pose for the... Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't read this. 
but it was before she before I found out that she uh that she refused to pose for the first painter um that's before I realized or found out that it was because she didn't want to um be married I probably should have figured that out but <laughs> it was before I realized that so I have this note that says the mistress must have ungodly riz They've already had a painter out there to the, do the portrait, but he couldn't even look at her. <laughs> I think that was maybe the subtitles were wrong, or maybe like I was just reading it incorrectly because I'm having to read so much. Um, either way, that's pretty funny. Uh, I went back and put parentheses. <laughs> she was just, she just didn't want to paint. Uh, she just didn't want to get painted because she did want to get married. Which, fair. Uh, if I was getting forced into marrying someone, I don't know that I would ever really be cooperative. And like, oh yeah, this guy's here to take your make your portrait. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <sighs> anyway. Um, my next note says, I love the visual callback to her telling her students to always watch how the hands were positioned. Um, there's a lot of visual metaphors in this film, and they were all written into the script perfectly. It was all incredible. All of it. Um, I mean, the lady on fire, that, uh, there's a few later on that I'll talk about in more in depth, but that was the first one that I really noticed. Uh, and then she, like, scurries off the painter hands and stuff. Um... I noted the line that I thought that was really one of the lines that I thought was really clever it was between uh, the mom who also had a great acting performance in this film um, the countess is talking to Marianne and she says I haven't seen Marianne says I haven't even seen her smile yet and uh, the countess says have you tried being funny thought that was really cute a uh, really cute line um I really enjoy the way that their admiration is shown through facial expression um, rather than them being like, I love you so much. That, that gets really old. Um, and the way that they're just able to show that they admire one another by just staring longingly at one another uh, was really cool. I thought it was really effective and um, it really sold, like I said, they sold being in love very well. Um, so, I mean, I have me hook, line, and sinker. This movie, I'll just be up front, made me cry pretty often. Pretty, like, three, maybe, I think three times, three separate times in the movie, I teared up. This movie was really, really, really expressive, and it was dealing with some super, super heavy stuff. Um, just unapologetically and honestly, um, just, just awesome, just really awesome stuff, really just approaching life, uh, from a very, um, at, while being objective at the same time, giving you just enough, enough subjectivity to have it feel, uh, just superhuman, I don't know there, any other way to explain it, just like a superhuman story. Um, and something that believably could happen, could have happened. So, yeah, 
just further testament to how well this screenplay was written by Celine Sciamma and just overall had her vision of this whole film. Um, this was incredible. Um, but I digress. And my next note says, ooh, excuse me. Helwa is starting to get the idea that the painter is, uh, Marianne is only there to sweeten Milan. Um, I thought that was really sad that she kept kind of like insinuating that she was only there to make Milan seem sweeter. Um, and you know, it's just those kind of general mis misunderstandings that sometimes people have in relationships and stuff. Uh, even if you really love somebody, you know, it, and that could be fueled by jealousy too. And that probably definitely was a part of it, knowing that she's knowing that she's going to be losing this person that she's becoming like she's coming to love. Um, that definitely has to be very difficult to deal with. I don't even I don't even understand how I could deal with that. Um, I would be in shambles, you know, basically falling in love with someone, but all the while knowing this person not going to be my person at the end of the day um because I, you know they i don't think either one of them were looking at it as meaningless hookup or whatever you know i think they truly like had a an endearing relationship with one another and especially in the 1770s, them having a romantic relationship was a, an extremely conscious choice. Um, but it's also not surprising given Eloise's comments about how it, she liked living in a convent because she enjoyed equality for once. Um, so, you know, not completely lost on me that this is not an out of left field situation and i understand that you know history likes to to explain away uh you know lgbt uh history you know so this is probably fairly more common i don't know about a painter traveling to a, a distant <laughs> remote island you know and falling in love with a woman who's getting shipped off to be a countess in Milan, but nevertheless, <laughs> still, still, uh, probably, there are still probably sapphic relationships that happen that we all know nothing about just because of the tabooness of having that as, like, a, uh, a public relationship at the time. With what the Christian church being the way that it was... Uh, and still is, in many ways. But nevertheless, uh, moving on to my next comment, I have Helloaz makes a comment on how quality felt nice in the comment. Just mentioned that. My next comment uh, says, the visual metaphor of her heart being on fire uh, for her was really amazing. Um, trying to remember exactly what that was talking about. I think I'm blanking on this one a little bit. I, I think there was a certain point where she like drew her with her heart on fire. Or she had a, a dream where her chest caught on fire or something like that. 
and I thought it was a, a good metaphor to show like she has a burning a love inside yeah. that's it <laughs> um yeah we have to go to the break though um that was a really bad way to end that the little section right here so yeah i think i think that was just like a a, a way of saying like she had a, a burning desire in her heart pretty straightforward metaphor but i thought it was still really effective um we have to go to break now uh i'll be right back i probably am not going to be here for too much longer i don't have that many more notes because this movie really speaks for itself but nevertheless stick with it and we'll be right back <laughs> welcome back uh it was probably been like two seconds since i last saw you but welcome back nevertheless um when we left off, I was talking about the part where I'm guessing someone's heart was on fire. I kind of blanked on it, but um, I kind of remember it. I remember, I remember stopping the movie to write it down, but not really fully aware of what I'm talking about. So I'm going to move on. Um, I really enjoyed how stoic the mother was in this film. Uh, I thought it allowed the movie to really stay entrenched in its femininity while having a, like, uh, an overly prideful, uh, character, but prideful in a way that was not <laughs> just basically toxic masculinity. Um, seeing pride uh be you know thrown onto a woman not by you know a man's ego but you know a woman's desire for uh or in a, i guess a family's desire for like further prestige and stuff that was really interesting i thought that dynamic was really fun not fun since it was devastating I thought that was a really interesting dynamic to explore, uh, is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I'm going to move on to the next note. The scene with Eloise's mother is keen to me because it highlights the undertone that they have love for one another and that they have a desire to stay together as long as possible while also being away for the... Uh, for Marianne to show Eloise that she genuinely cares about her. Um, yeah. I'm trying to unpack what I just said there. The scene with Eloise's mother is keen to me because it highlights the undertone... Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, her trashing the painting, basically, uh, you know is I in my opinion pretty an obvious way of her like showing her that she's like oh no I love you like don't think this is how I see you I was just tasked with doing this I was just trying to get paid please please this is not how I see you um love me please <laughs> but you know like in the long scheme grand scheme um you know it's uh 
and did end up, you know, breeding their, their, their really, really passionate love. But that was really the start of it where it became like a, like really real because I'm pretty sure they like had crushes on each other, you know, from the get when they saw each other, but they don't, they didn't really understand the urges. And then like when they had like an act of like, no, I want to stay around I really like being around you. I think that was the real big turn of like, oh yeah, no, let's 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 see where this goes. <laughs> and that was like the beginning of it, I think. Um, I uh, their little playful flirting scenes too was like a really fun way of selling it. Like she tells her to look at look at her in the for the portrait, and she like gets butterflies, and that was that was cute. I thought that was really cute. Um, and then there's two scenes or a few scenes that made me really gain respect for a lot of uh, just something I never even really thought of or never thought to even think of um, was. The, I think it was Marianne was dealing with menstruation, and so they put like hot, what hot stones. Uh, in her, uh, area, and that was just jarring. Uh, just jarring. I cannot fucking imagine having to cauterize, basically your. Uh, your vagina. Um, I don't know why I laughed saying vagina. Like basically having to cauterize your vagina. That is, that is horrid. That sounds awful. That sounds like the worst possible fucking thing to have to happen to a person. I could not imagine having to cauterize my dick because it was bleeding, and like shedding its line. Yeah. Anyway, um. Then we, we get to the, the abortion scenes um, where the helper, Sophie, um, is found out that she's pregnant. She doesn't want the baby. And so they have her run up and down the beach. They have her um, hang, like just hang like from a... Uh, from a, a bar, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of odd stuff, just doing really kind of anything they can, um, drinking tonics, yeah, just hard to really watch women having to deal with women problems pre-medicine and pre-modern medicine, that's, that was that was hard to watch because I it's not something I ever really thought about and yeah you just kind of gain a new level of respect for the women that lived in, especially in that area or era especially lived in that era um yeah Whew. um there's really long scenes in this movie but all of the the movement within the scenes have a lot of meaning uh, a lot of them are silent it's a very silent movie 
I don't want to say it's like a silent film, but it, you know, it's a very quiet movie. Uh, it's it's driven by romantic tension and then once that tension is released you feel like it's like okay we're done now like that's the tension that's it but it only kind of builds um and i thought that was really nice because that's how relationships go not just peaches and cream once you finally got get together you still have like touch-ups and arguments and stuff and things still happen and so it's not always it's not always the greatest thing to be in a relationship. Sometimes you get in a relationship and you go, oh, fuck, my life is worse now. It just kind of happens. So um, I thought this movie did a great job of putting a realistic spin on how relationships are. And I mean, especially the the with the stipulation that has been, uh, you know, established already in this movie. I think it's just great. Uh, and it's great touch, again, with the writing, that it, it leaves no stone unturned um, and checks all its boxes. It sets up all these boxes to check later in the film, and it checks every single one of them. And then checks, it has like bonus checks at the end, too. It's really great. Um, so much romantic tension is my uh is what my note in here says my next note says the book reading was really uh a really nice way of storytelling the story between orpheus and Eurydice. Uh, i thought was really really cool um and how they brought it back i have that later in my notes um so we'll talk about that um the way they both had an interpretation of what drove the man to cause his death was really really nice um kind of just kind of further establishes uh, how they feel differently about things but still love each other you know another real honest way of looking at two people who love each other they have different interests you know their moralities are similar but they don't see everything eye to eye and that's okay and they still love each other for it so that was really cool to see um uh my next thing says uh the girl saying that she's still pregnant and then you just swig some wine. I'm going to go ahead and highly doubt that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and highly, highly doubt that. Uh, but, you know, she probably make sure. Just to make sure. Um, then the lady catching on fire during that same bonfire scene. Uh, I thought that scene was really, really cool. Um... I, I'm not exactly, I think in my interpretation of her catching on fire is that that was like the breaking point where, you know, their love had, it, it, like their admiration for one another was so, so palpable that like, it was, um, what's that phrase? It's like a, um, shit. There's a phrase. And it's like, it's like fire on, fire on something. Let me know in the comments. <laughs> it's like, there's a phrase where it's like, you, these two are like fire on, on 
something very flammable. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember, but, uh, these two, it's a British term. It's like a British phrase. I'm pretty sure. But these two get on like fire on whatever, basically a, an extremely flammable object. And that's kind of the, the vibe I was getting from it. Like a, uh, you know, these two are so attracted to each other. Like it, they, they just caught on fire. Even though she just kind of walked through the bonfire, uh, I thought that was more of what I represented, and I enjoyed the the metaphor. Um, I guess it'd be a simile if I'm using like. <laughs> um, that was stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the I I noted this line because I liked it. Uh, one of them asks, you dreamt of me? And the other one says, no, I thought of you. And I thought that was really sweet. I thought that was a really, really sweet, loving line. Um, next note I have says, having a baby uh, holding the helper's hand while she's knows that she's, you know, having an abortion is really powerful because, like, while she knows that she doesn't want the child, she like having that visual representation of the guilt that she's going to inevitably feel um is really 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 tough and that messed me up pretty bad um it had me crying um that was a really powerful scene and i'm glad that it was done uh by people who understand the gravity of that situation um that's all i'll say because that's all it really needs to be said on my part. But I, I thought I was super, super mature way of approaching all of it. And I thought I was just um, super hard to watch. You know, I feel like it would be for anyone. I don't think if that's easy for you to watch, you have like no soul, I think. Um, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> moving on from that because that is sad um but a very crucial and um high tension scene for this movie and a very important scene to be in the movie so um, nevertheless moving on from that uh using the painting to empower the helper in her moment of vulnerability um, by like going and kind of like reinforcing her and showing her that they are on her side or not on her side, but like that they support her with everything by giving her a, a painting of a moment where she may feel powerless. It's it, they took that as a way to use the painting to empower her. So that was really beautiful. Um, <laughs> and they get high as hell on some flying ointment. Um, and then I really enjoy uh, the, the the doily. Um, the, when Sophie is finishing the doily of a finished bouquet, and the the bouquet is dead, I interpreted that as a callback to the Orpheus and Eurydice story, where. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Marianne that comments that the man chose the snapshot 
of his wife's, like the snapshot of his wife that he had in his head and like the image of his wife that he had in his head over actually his, like having his wife. He cared so much about, you know, what he had with his wife that he couldn't bear those few more seconds to not, not look at her. Uh, and it caused her death, you know, and I thought she was calling back. I thought it was a great callback to that from the director. If that's what I was calling back to, if not, if I'm reaching here, you know, disregard this, but that, that's how I felt um, when I saw that. Um, she finished painting by painting the ears. That was the first thing that she commented on when she got there. She was staring at her ears because that's all she could really get a snapshot of or get a really good look at. Um, I have the, the line, don't regret, remember. thought that was really, really good. You know, don't regret, you know, the love that you gave me. Just remember the love that we shared. The absolutely beautiful line. Um, and just beautiful, just a beautiful thought process and way of looking at life, um, and definitely something that will stick with me. Um, then the, the whole 28th page and having the 28th page open while she's getting another portrait done in the hopes that, you know, she's out there and sees it was really cute I thought that was a really nice touch and then uh, uh, the movie basically being quiet aside from the you know the dialogue scenes obviously where they're talking to each other and then um sorry I'm still trying to kill this gnat in here uh going from that and then the ending on that orchestra the presto um He's sorry to my face. The Presto by, uh, hold on. It's Presto from Summer in Vivaldi's Four Seasons, um, which is an incredible song. Uh, and I thought just keeping camera fixated on her for like two and a half minutes while she's just sobbing to the orchestra. And you don't really see Marianne's reaction to it um, because you already know Marianne's reaction to it. You know, her even thinking about how it was made her really sad and uh, she comments to one of her students saying like hey you you painted me but I look really sad in the painting and she's like well you are um I thought that was really a really funny moment like a little like a nice little ironic moment um and then just yeah three three little thoughts from you know about the whole movie in general here the visual metaphors in this film were absolutely incredible. The cinematography was absolutely incredible. Uh, it only did so much more to fuel how good the, the visual metaphors looked and how well that they were received. Um, and then I genuinely think not really having a score for this movie made kind of more sense. If there is a score, it's super duper subtle and it's like kind of almost hidden. Um, because I didn't really notice it. It was quiet for most of the film, which is fine because it works. But um, 
yeah, I, I, I just, I really, really enjoyed this movie. And uh, I'm ready to throw a rating on it and uh, get out of here if you guys are. So we're going to switch over to here. Um, I actually did something <laughs> seamlessly this time. Holy shit. That was so cool. Okay, so uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, I have given a 9.5. So, uh, the rest of here had a nice little run up there um, for, you know, a few weeks. <laughs> or, sorry, for one week now. Um, you know, sorry guys. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Uh, I'm already screwing this up, though. So, let me, uh, I'll do this in post, but I'll do this after the show, actually. So, that was, um, that was A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, a movie that I absolutely love. Um, and, yeah, so... I think that's it for this episode. Um, if you enjoy this episode, please throw us a like. Uh, subscribe to us. Um, yesterday, we if you're watching this, today is Monday the 5th, right? Today is the 2nd, tomorrow's the 3rd, Sunday is the 4th. Yep, so Monday the 5th. Um, yesterday, we came out with audio-only podcast that features my dad and his longtime friend since high school, so almost a friendship of uh, 30 years, just about, um, or maybe it is, I'm gotta, I gotta clear that up, but I'm pretty sure they've been friends for almost 30 years, basically my godfather, um, but Greg and Jeff giving the hi-hat, the long-awaited, uh, release of this podcast these guys i mean it took me a lot of money to get them out of the house or i guess they're not really getting out of the house they're kind of just calling each other and being on this podcast so not really leaving the house but but uh still doing it nevertheless go give that a listen uh it's a it's really funny uh i'm producing it so i i have to listen to it so i I can tell you with confidence that it's funny. Um, me and Trevor are working on something. In the we got something in the cards. It's not nothing is official yet. I think we're gonna do maybe a test episode here soon. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I think we are. We are. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on over here at the Q Crew Productions. So just stick with us, and we are going to be coming out with a lot more stuff uh, coming up here soon. Uh, this will still be every Monday. FNF will be every Friday. Um, got to figure out who we're having on this Friday, uh, but I got a few days to do that. So just stick with us. Uh, it'll give you time if you missed one of the episodes to go back and watch them. Um, so go do that. Next week on this podcast, I can tell you what's next Monday. Uh, we're going to be watching uh, The Great Dictator. 
from 1940. Um, that should be really interesting. <laughs> I've never seen a movie from the 40s before. I've seen Cholinger Men, which is from 1957, but I've never seen a film from the 40s. This film is from 1940. Uh, it stars Charlie Chaplin as uh, a guy that is... He's two people in the movie. He's a Jewish baker and a um, a caricature of Adolf Hitler. Um, learned about this movie watching Chaplin and... I'm just really interested. It's just one of his three um, tall keys. And uh, it, it was really successful. And I'm really baffled why he just didn't care for the tall key. But nevertheless, we're going to be doing that next week. So tune in for that. Uh, go follow us on Instagram at the Q Crew. Go follow Finding New Films on Instagram. Go follow me on Instagram. Go follow anybody that you like from the Q Crew on Instagram. Uh, we're mainly an Instagram people, so that's where you're going to find us. That's it, though. So I'll see you guys this Friday. I'll see you next week. Uh, go watch Greg and Jeff. Give him the hi hat. Yeah. Bye, everybody.